Do you enjoy? I don't know how many of you enjoyed that, but I, I filled in a, I filled in a dead space with a rooster sound. Yeah, that was that was super, Clem. Needed something. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Well, my highest praise uh, for a humorist is a coughing fit, and you got one. <laughs> I'm just going to say this. And then we're going to leave it, and we're going to move on. Okay. As co-host, I insist. I thought it was spinach dip. Monica Lewinsky is finally telling all about the affair. What? She is telling everything is there, about her affair with Bill Clinton now. Is there much we didn't know? Well, why she didn't get the dress cleaned right away? Well, yeah, I've always wondered she that. She thought it was spinach dip. But in terms of the... I love spinach dip, by the way. Oh, it's such a good snack. Yes? So is this a book or an interview or what? It can't, surely not a book. Um, She uh, is participating in an A&E docuseries, The Clinton Affair, where she discusses everything from how Clinton wooed her to the infamous stain on the blue dress. But God, don't we know almost everything? No. Well, yes, but no. <laughs> I mean, we, I'm yeah, trying we, to follow you here. Well, sure. Moby Dick's a story about a guy goes hunting a whale, wrecks the ship. There, you know everything. You I know mean, most things. We yeah. knew about the there c- are details. We knew about the cigar. I mean, we knew intimate details right. that, in general, nobody knows but the two people involved. We know about him getting her a copy of Leaves of Grass. And we, we, we know all this oh, stuff. Oh, but there's so much more. Layers. Okay. Layers. There okay. also seems to be some focus on kind of the, the aftermath and her life since then. Now, I saw, that's, that's kind of interesting. I saw this quote floating around from, uh, from this docuseries, uh, Monica Go Linsky on, though. Said, nobody cares. Go on. I care. If you want to know what power looks like, watch a man safely, even smugly, do interviews for decades without ever worrying whether he will be asked the question he doesn't want to answer. Whoa, that's pretty good. That is pretty good. That's um, pretty good. Does she, does, she, does she need money? Getting money because it's the hashtag Me Too movement. I think what, that's probably part of it. Just age. She just decided. Yeah, I think at some point she doesn't care about maybe the negative consequences of of telling all or during the hashtag Me Too uh, movement. I could certainly see her explaining how these things happen. I don't know. It's her life. I guess she gets to do what she wants with it. You can get older. Uh, I've known women with s- not similar situations. They also had sex with the president. But, you know, uh, situations, men too, where you get older and you think, now that I'm older, and especially if you have kids that are your age, you think, now that I'm older and look back on it, that is really not cool. Here are some quotes. I still feel uncomfortable talking about it because I think it's one of those things where it's not as if it didn't register with me that he was the president. Obviously, it did. But I think in one way, the moment we were in the back office of the White House for the first time, the truth is that I think it meant more to me that someone who other people desired had desired me. However wrong it was, however misguided, for who I was at that very moment at 22 years old, that's how I felt. Well, that'd be the exact same sort of thing of being backstage with a rock star or anything else. Right? Uh, That this is a whole, this is somebody everybody is cheering. And they've chosen to be with me. Right, right. She was a 21-year-old, recent college grad from L.A., began working at the White House, unpaid, in July 95. It didn't take her long to have, quote, what she called strange encounters with other interns. One in particular was this girl gushing over the president, about the president, talking about how handsome he was. And I just remember thinking to myself, ew, this is an old guy with wiry gray hair. How could she find him attractive? I didn't get it till the first time I was really in his presence. 
She saw Clinton at an event. I was struck. Power, the aphrodisiac of power, which I don't right. really understand as a guy. Right. Um, but, um, huh. I was struck in a way that he had this ability to hold everybody that was there. Everybody is sort of starry-eyed in his presence. I kind of have to laugh at my younger self, but that's when my crush started. Then she talks about flirtatious encounters. Um, Lewinsky described at one point there was a small staff birthday party with Clinton present. That's nice. He went to hang out with the staff. Because there's January young, birthdays today. Well, there's there's November, young, but. Because there's young chicks there. That's why he went. No. I realized that the top of my underwear had been showing, my thong underwear, she said. And I thought, well, I'll up the game. I knew he was walking out of the room. And instead of putting my trousers up like I would have done in any other incident, I didn't. It was unnoticeable to everyone else in the room, but he noticed. I just remember him asking me questions. Where did I go to college? Things like that. I don't think at that point in my life... Where did your underwear... I mean, you go to college. <laughs> I don't think at that point in my life my heart had ever beat as fast. Really needs to look into some cardio. Uh, um, president, talking to you would be something. I blurted out, you know I have a crush on you. Oof. And he laughed and smiled and asked me if I wanted to go to the back office. And I oh, did. jeez, he's a quick mover. He's busy, he's the president. Holy cow! How about a little... He has treaties to negotiate and budgets to plan. How about a little wooing? You have a crush on me. Lay down. I mean, good <laughs> Lord. It was dark, and he eventually asked me if he could kiss me, and I said yes. After a little time, I went back to my desk. Some point later in the evening, I was the only person in the office, and he came back in and said, if you want to meet me in the back study in 10 minutes, you can. Well, so there's I did, a guy and it who, became more intimate from there. There's a guy who's done this sort of thing before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Clearly. Clearly. And and was not one for, like, long-term, let's not take this too fast. <laughs> right, exactly. Should um, we be doing this? Not a lot of that talk. Why are you still clothed? <laughs> More like it. And uh, no monkey business happened inside the Oval Office proper. They would talk and flirt there, but nothing sexual. I, I've never quite understood why that bothers so many people. I, it doesn't me. It's just... Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an office of government. I don't, I don't worship the government. That's not like, you know, the holy of holies or whatever. Um, it's a it, uh, psalm almost weekly. Uh, I had no way to reach him. If he called me, I couldn't call him back. I was completely at his mercy in that way. It's really sad to me when I look back on it. I was this 22-year-old girl working in the White House. I should have been out on the weekends, meeting people my own age and enjoying myself. Instead, I very often stayed in my office on Saturdays and Sundays, hoping he would call. 22 Yeah, is young. Yeah. She was shocked when she was transferred from the White House to the Pentagon around the time Clinton was campaigning for term number two. Um, I hate to jump to the oogie part. Yes. But you've referenced it. Yeah. Well, she goes on with the whole having a crush thing. Um, I would think I had spinach dip on me mm. if I had just been eating spinach dip. <laughs> if we were just having sex. You're like Sherlock Holmes. Particular kind of sex. I okay, might think easy something. now. Well, it just, it just seems right. odd. Well, okay. Also, if I have a sport coat with a spinach dip stain on it, that's still worthy of washing. Sure, sure. Right? It's not like, oh, oh no, that's just spinach. I don't have to clean Everybody that Everybody walks around with spinach dip on them. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, and so she didn't hear from him at all for the last two weeks leading up to the election was deflated and desperate um, and confided in Linda Tripp, which you may remember. Oh, Monica. Remember any of that. But it was early 97, around Guess the inauguration I said, um, time. I don't know, Monica. <laughs> 
Do we have that tape, Michael? Could be anything. Monica. Yeah, no, I can find it. Yeah, yeah any of them. Do. Any of them would be good because that's a. I, I I have never gotten tired of those conversations. Monica and Linda Tripp, please, if you will, Michael, twenty-two-year-old talking about her affair with the president of the United States, Earl, as if it's her new boyfriend at high school. Yeah, here you go. It was. Hang on, hang on. It was early ninety-seven when Clinton gave her a hat pin and Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass after he hadn't talked to her for several weeks. Listen, you'll get mad at me. You know what I said at the end? What? The worst I could say. Oh, you want to, You didn't say what are you wearing? I, no, I was even worse than that. But then what's even worse, worse, worse than what I said was I was just like, I don't know how it, you'll die. You will die. You're going to smack me. Uh, probably, Monica. What do you think I said? God only knows. What's the worst thing I could say? Do you love me? No. I love you. Yep. You didn't. I did. We're getting up, and I'm like, I, I love you, butthead. <laughs> no. I called him butthead. You didn't. I did. And what did he say? So that was it. He just kind of hung up. Yeah. Or I hung up. I was like, oh, my God. What the hell just came out of my oh, mouth? You butthead. hung up. Butthead. Yeah, he hung up and put his head in his hands. <laughs> And thought, oh, God. I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> oh, no. I've made a terrible mistake. Oh, no. Yes. 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 <laughs> so she hasn't heard from him for weeks. Gets the hat pin and the leaves of grass. And then gets called over to, to make a little visit. First time we'd been alone since I was banished to the Pentagon, which was several months prior. We moved to the bathroom and were more intimate. There was some attention paid on me. And then I was reciprocating up to the point that he'd always stopped me before completion on his part. Um, but this time that she said, let's come on, come on. We're near the summit. Let's see the view. Let's finish this job. Good Lord. And he finally said, okay. And that happened. And she was wearing the blue dress. Um, and, uh. She ran into a lot of people, and nobody noticed or said anything. I guess it's like spinach in the teeth. You don't know quite how to put it. Um, although I always do, because I would want to be told. And then, you know, then it kind of he distances himself. And, uh, uh, oh, man, this is weird. So in July, Lewinsky sent Clinton a letter, and instead of referring to him as handsome, she described her frustrations about working at the Pentagon and how she would ultimately have to tell her parents why she was leaving behind a well-paying job. I ended up seeing him on July 4th. He was angry. We're in the back study, and he started yelling at me like, it's illegal to threaten the president of the United States of America. Wow, that is not cool, dude. That is not freaking cool. Yeah. He was so angry, and I started to cry. I had never threatened to go public. I threatened to tell my parents. You don't get to be angry with your 22-year-old lover. Right. Anything that happens is on you. So she starts to bawl. He immediately softened, and he was affectionate. It was a roller coaster of a relationship that led to a slow emotional unraveling on my part. Breakdown occurred in January 1998 when Linda Tripp, whose dulcet tones we just heard, Monica, called the office of the Independent Council and revealed what she knew. And why did she do that? Um, Isn't she a... <sighs> Wasn't she being accused of something or other? I can't remember the arcania of it uh, escapes yeah. me. I'm sure some of you with photographic memories will remind us. But <clears throat> and then she gets down into the uh, the the breakup. She was still in love with Bill. Was thinking about killing herself. Mortified and afraid. You know, actually, you can threaten the president of the United States about a relationship that you're having. You can do that, Bill. That is perfectly uh, okay. Uh, sure. Well, he was exercising power. 
every power, every sort of power he could come up with. You, as president, her. can't threaten a private citizen to keep their mouths shut about an affair. You can't do that. Well, your description of when he hung up after the I love you butthead, I'm thinking his brain was starting to whir, and he was starting to make bad decisions. Well, yeah. uh, continuing to well, make bad decisions. He, he was projecting. Including exploding at a young girl uh, yeah. and making her cry. He was projecting in his mind what could happen and did happen. It all came out and went all the way to an impeachment. He probably, in his worst in his worst fears, when she said, I love you on the phone, he probably didn't think I'm going to get impeached. He probably just saw, you know, people will find out. I'm going to have to lie. It's going to be a mess. I don't know if he thought Hillary's going to be mad because I still don't quite understand what the relationship is. There, she no. might be perfectly okay with that. She just doesn't want to be embarrassed in public. Yeah, she's married to you know a Tony Soprano type. Yeah, she knows what's going on. Just don't humiliate me. So uh, there you go, spinach dip, mm. which again is a delightful appetizer. Now, in the bread bowl, oh, best thing ever. I got to <laughs> ask, how long is this A and E special? Because I feel like I got everything I need to know. I can't imagine that there's any more I need to hear. Well, that's what you said before I started. That's true. I think. When the, will your cynicism relent? <laughs> maybe what the problem is your imagination. It's just not imaginative enough. <laughs> uh, I guess we'll get to more of the Clintons, his old lady, in a little bit. Because uh, she's a running. She's running for, well, according to somebody who would know. Uh, that's That could be really, really interesting. Amazon has made its decision on where they're putting their, their new headquarters and all that sort of stuff on the way in the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Boy, two different views of the world. And I was talking to somebody the other day about how uh, a friend of theirs took their business to Texas. And uh, and uh, when Texas found out that they're bringing a business there, said, we'll give you the land. You can have the land that you're looking at. Oh, yeah. No taxes. Here's your tax breaks on your own, your employees. You're going to hire all this sort of stuff. Whereas some places, California, which regularly finishes 50th out of 50 in terms of being business friendly, not easy to be DFL on something like that. Well, it's not like always that. last. Sometimes it's just in the bottom two. Yeah, sometimes it's 49th tying with whoever it is. Um, but, you know, the sort of attitude where you see a business coming and you th- and your, your, your posture is, oh, I'm not sure about this. This is a problem. Your first thought is not, oh, right. It's, uh-oh, not liking it. Well, that's well, the and, and combined with what can we take from them? So Amazon made their announcement about where they're putting their second headquarters. Turns out they're going to have a couple places. But one of them is going to be in New York City. And immediately, she uh, Guevara is out as a um, uh, a local herself about Amazon going to Queens. Queens residents are outraged at Amazon's plan to build a second headquarters there. The Democratic Socialist said, we've been getting calls and outreach from Queens residents all day long. The response generally is outrage that this billion-dollar company is going to come in and 
we need more money for subways and they're going to get tax breaks and blah, blah, blah. So their immediate reaction is this is a bad thing that one of the biggest and most profitable companies on planet Earth mm-hmm. is going to set up their headquarters here. Instead of immediately thinking, oh, this is fantastic. We've won the lottery. No, it's a bad thing. Got to be a bad thing. If you're a low-income renter, you're probably going to have to move. That's just the reality of it. Yeah, that you know that gets to... I never got into some of the highlights from Alan Greenspan's new book about creative destruction. It's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. He talks about the... Um, I don't, even, I don't want to call it the dark side of capitalism, because he doesn't call it the dark side of capitalism, but something that goes with capitalism. The less pleasant side. Of the it. less pleasant that? Yeah. side, that is the tearing down of some things as new things grow up, and how when industries go away, it's brutal. It's brutal for the towns where those industries were. It's brutal for, the, for, for you know, a couple of generations of people, and he's got historical examples um, throughout our throughout our nation's history of that industry going away, and you know families might have done forever this. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not going to anymore, and that town's going to die. But that is absolutely necessary or part of the process of the new thing growing up in that town over there, where the next several generations might do that in that town. The and the and that the only alternative to that is trying to support these dying industries that nobody wants anymore, right. and that doesn't work. Or um, having the government run, say, a rental economy and weigh in and say what property owners can charge, what people have to pay, and bureaucrats start running that, which, you know, Econ 101 will show you everything you need to know about how terrible that ends up being. Yeah, it Alan, always ends up being Alan Greenspan's got a real, he's really troubled by how Democrats and Republicans now for a couple of cycles have gone into places where they're mining coal, places where they are building cars and saying, we're going to bring this back. No, you're not. And trying to prop it up somehow when the natural flow of you know the capitalism cycle mm-hmm. says that, that 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 their day is done right is is not a good thing. Well, listen, uh, Donald J. Trump has actually done a pretty good job of uh, of increasing the number of manufacturing jobs in the U.S. Uh, various policies and a little protectionism here and there and uh, deregulation. It's been absolutely great, but it is a temper in a lot of cases. I think. Um, particularly your industries that are just dying because they're being replaced by technologies. And, you know, you're not going to get this because politics is dumb. I'd like to say, listen, we're going to work like crazy to keep these car-making jobs in the U.S. But you young people and you kids don't count on this. That's just a bad life strategy. It might be here, but just spend a little time thinking about your plan B. Okay? Now vote for me. Yeah, well, but in politics, that, that's way too complex and subtle you got something sean yeah so i've been seeing a lot of uh, articles with this type of headline how to stop the amazon extortion from happening again um that's interesting yeah i'm seeing not one but multiple different places not just repurposing the same article but a lot of different people are writing on that angle well, we got more on this coming up later. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, some encouraging news from the California Fire Lines. U.S. bishops have put off a vote on actions directed against child abuse at the direction of the Vatican. Yeah. And yeah. Americans are putting off getting healthy until next year. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. I will start my diet tomorrow. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.
backlash from some people about the whole Amazon headquarters thing. People are unhappy about the way it went down. Mm. We can get into that coming up, I suppose. Let's get the news out, Marshall Phillips. Well, one thing we haven't done yet, we have not checked in this morning for Positive Sean's One Word Market Report. So let's take care of that. Sean? The market is rebounding. Okay. Oh, yesterday was Yesterday was something, huh? Yeah. What was going on there, huh? Um, it was a it was a punch in the gut, gut punch, tech punch, sell off, tech mm-hmm. uh, stock sell off rather. Market rebounding, a little bit of good news this morning from the uh, fire lines. Cal Fire is reporting the crews have managed to slow the campfire's advance on Oroville, California. As of this morning, though, the fire has grown to about one hundred and twenty thousand acres, and it's a frustrating time for friends and relatives who don't know if their loved ones survived the fire that demolished the town of Paradise. 42 people confirmed dead. Coroner search teams still searching for more possible victims. What they say is when they see multiple vehicles in a driveway, there's a possibility that people in the house couldn't escape and that their remains are in the rubble, and so those homes are marked for searches. There were a number of everyday heroes helping out, though, through all this, like a garbage truck driver who saved a 93-year-old woman from her home as the campfire was approaching. He said, get in the house, get your things together quick, and we'll get out of here. Margaret Newsom's caregiver had left for the day. She saw reports the fire was approaching. She stepped out in the porch hoping somebody would see her, and that's when Dane Ray Cummings came by her uh, house, told her to get her stuff, loaded her in the cab, and drove her to safety. boy, Dane. Nice job. Meanwhile, fire crews are getting ready to battle the Woolsey Fire near Malibu again today. They are fighting the flames being fanned by high winds. That fire burning across Ventura and L.A. counties now 35% contained. The fire burning over 96,000 acres, 30 or 435 buildings destroyed. Shifting gears, U.S. Catholic bishops postponed their plans to vote on proposed new actions to address the priest's sex abuse scandal. Doing so... At the direction of the Vatican, Cardinal Daniel DiNardo of Galveston, Houston, the head of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, said he was told the night before the national meeting to put off any action until after a Vatican-convened global meeting on sex abuse in February. A frustrated DiNardo told reporters about the delay, saying, We are not ourselves happy about this at all. If the global Catholic Church had earned any goodwill on this issue, and they haven't. But if they had, I would say, I get it. It's a global organization. They're about to meet. Instead of having the regional office uh, pass a bunch of rules, why don't we all just get together and make it universal? I get that. No, they get no benefit of the doubt. But they've burned their benefit of the doubt over and over again. The bishops had been expected to consider several proposals, including a new code of conduct for themselves and the creation of a special commission that would include lay experts to review complaints against the bishops. I'd make the following request, though. Okay, Mr. Pope, sir, we'll wait till, what is it, February? Yes. So another quarter of a year. Hey, uh, hey, priests, try not to rape anybody in the next three months. Those of you who are truly men of God, I apologize for the harshness of that. Try not to molest anybody. Try not to have any lovers. You're supposed to be celibate for life. How about we take three months off, huh? Then we'll get those rules in place. And Mr. Pope, sir, you'd better. The holidays aren't so far away now, and you know what that means? A lot of food. So perhaps it's no surprise many Americans are saying they are giving up on being healthy until 2019. A new commission uh, talked to about 2,000 Americans, and 45% of them 
say they're postponing any resolution to eat healthy or lose weight until after the festivities. Not me. I'm going to be super disciplined, super healthy through the holidays, and more importantly, I'm going to bring it up at the table a lot. I'm going to talk about it all the time. The moment the appetizers appear, somebody opens a bottle of wine, I'm going to tell you all about it. It's such a bad idea to just eat whatever you want and think, I'll get it under control in January. It's just, it's just not a good idea. On so many different levels. It's, Habits are hard to change. The fact that losing weight is yeah. so difficult, if not impossible, if you change your uh, set point weight by eating all this. Uh. Does this mean you're going to have a healthy Thanksgiving, Jack? No. <laughs> what are you talking about? Average person gains six pounds in holiday weight. Only 12% will make it through the holidays without any weight gain at all. I think I can beat that. I, can, I think I can be better than average. I can do more than six pounds. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you dare to be great. Yes, set goals. <laughs> Comic book legend Stan Lee is dead. The co-creative heroes like Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, and the X-Men Rushed to the hospital yesterday, uh, yesterday morning where he passed away. What's his greatest creation, Sean? What's, what's his biggest thing? Spider-Man? Uh, Spider-Man or the X-Men. Probably okay. one of those two. He uh, was 95 years old. Stan Lee, a while back, was asked about what makes a good superhero. You have to have a character, whether it's a superhero or not, that people care about. Your lead character must be someone, A, you can understand, B, you can relate to, and C, that you care about and you want to do well. He has to be written in such a way that you wish he was a friend of mine. He was also Marvel's publisher, the public face of the company, and is known for his catchphrase, Excelsior! Um, one of my favorite little quirks of comic book history is that the Incredible Hulk was originally intended to be green, but because of the printing technologies at the time, they couldn't get it to print out in a, or he was supposed to be gray, apologies. Uh, they couldn't get gray. it to, yeah, they couldn't get it to print out in a consistent gray tone. He would be one shade of gray in one panel, a different <laughs> shade of gray in the next. So in episode two, uh, they wrote the, with, uh, just in episode two of the Hulk series, Lee wrote, and with no explanation, he turned green. And then the Hulk was green from there on out. Well, that was a simple way to handle that plot point. And after they came up with that, Stan Lee said, Excelsior! Maybe Popeye recommended to eat more spinach. They could have written that in. <laughs> All right, that is a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips here. I'm Strong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. The superheroes of a previous time, a sailor, an American fighting man, a veteran, not some sort of green monster. Hulk was on the side of good, though, right? Yeah, marginally. He was a little tough to control. He was uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, like Dr. Bruce Banner, and then when he got angry, he turned into the Hulk, and then couldn't control it. He liked to smash. Mm. Yeah. I knew. Sh- I know shockingly little about superheroes. I got you covered. <laughs> you got you got that area all under control. Uh, we got a bunch of texts on a whole bunch of different things. We'll probably run through everything from the Catholic Church to... When Amazon comes to your town and how much you should beg for that. Sean, do you think you know more about the X-Men or George Washington? The X-Men, not close. (laughs) (laughs) Shaming is fun. (laughs) Unfair shaming is fun. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation.
Armstrong and Getty Show. A couple of interesting texts. Hey guys, I most likely lost my business in paradise. Many lost much more. Could you let the president know, since I know you secretly know him, that when he's considering sending money to the fire victims of paradise, these folks are, for the most part, big supporters of Trump. Mm, Big conservative population in the paradise area. He should get his ass out here and make sure the money goes where it needs to be personally. Um, I'll bet Trump doesn't know that about, or somebody should tell him. Yeah, I wonder. Although I don't think the president being on hand actually personally tracks money, but... um... Who might argue with No, you? no, no, no. But he, uh, you know, instead of talking about California and in his mind thinking of Gavin Newsom in the blue state. Right. The particular area, at least in Northern California, they got hit with the fire. They're Trump people. Um, I'm going to tweet at him. A couple of texts we got. just text him. Who am I kidding? <laughs> uh, I'll save this for later. I'll save this for later. So, uh, Wall Street Journal op-ed piece about Hillary Clinton running in 2020. Now, yeah! I'm getting kind of tired of that. I, or I was getting kind of tired of that. But this sounds like it's for reals, at least from uh, one guy who seems like you should know. If you know um, this guy, Penn, he was a pollster and senior advisor to Bill and Hillary for 20 years. I mean, he's one of the real Clinton insiders. He knows he knows politics well, and he knows Hillary about as well as anybody could know. And he says in the Wall Street Journal, the generation of Democrats who have been waiting to take over the party from the Clintons will be fuming that she is back and stealing their show. <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> I'm not one of those Democrats, and I'm fuming that she's going to be back in the show. But they, re- I find it is it's just astonishingly hubristic, and I love it. But they revealed them. <laughs> but they revealed themselves to be bungling amateurs in the Brett Kavanaugh nomination fight with their laughable Spartacus moments. This is from that, a lifelong Democrat who worked for the Clintons for 20 years. Well, calling so far, them bungling amateurs. So far, he has told no lies. Hillary will trounce them. Just ask. Just as Mr. Trump cleared the field, Mrs. Clinton will take down rising. Uh, Democrat stars like bowling pins. Mike, mm. Mike, mm. Blo- well, okay. Mike Bloomberg will support her. I'm rather- sorry, like a bowling pin or like bowling pin? I'm, oh, oh, they are the bowl. I see. That was the most mean-spirited and coarse of commentary. Uh, stay tuned. There might be more. Mike Bloomberg will support her rather than run, and Joe Biden will never be able to take her on. Don't pay much attention to the I won't run declarations from Mrs. Clinton. She knows both her husband and Barack Obama declared they weren't running until they ran. She may even skip Iowa and enter the race later, but rest assured that one way or another, Hillary 4.0 is on the way. (laughs) That's from Mark Penn, senior advisor to Bill and Hillary for 20 years. That would be so compelling. She jumps in late after they oh. all beat each other up, and perhaps it's possible showed themselves to be bungling amateurs. That could happen. Can you imagine the chaos and bad will that would ensue? <laughs> can you imagine the cynicism? Oh, and then can you imagine Trump's response? Oh, oh, I, I don't dare imagine it. I, I, I can't believe. I just, I can't. Don't even tempt me. Well, the, I, I left out the first part. Um where he goes through her policies and who she really is. She is more of a liberal, progressive, far left. She's more like the base than she has portrayed herself in recent years. Right. Because she thought it was the best move for her. But now that wing of the party has got all the power. She is a universal health care person, has been since she was in college. Right. For instance. And, she, and that's going to be the big push. 
for Democrats. She is. She's. She's. She's got that in her bones. This other stuff was the phony stuff, right? So, having tried to fool us twice with moderate Hillary, she's finally going to get her true colors out there in her seventies. And 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 now, now I am telling you the truth. All right. Uh, speaking what? of being with in like her seventies, <laughs> right? Oh Lord. Uh, speaking of being in her seventies, she uh, she <laughs> was barely able to endure the race physically. Last year. Oh, that's right. She was or coughing up summer. weird things, and she had a little electronic devices strapped to her. Right. No, no, forget that. She passed out at the van. Stumbling, fumbling, bumbling, having to be helped into vans, that sort of thing. I don't think she's nearly as robust as she would have you believe. What was the, the her back? She shuffles or... on the stage, then sits for a very long time. There was some talk about her. She she had a concussion. She fell once, right? And she oh, had yeah. the weird glasses. and Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And they were so, simultaneously claiming it was no big deal, but that it was a big so deal. So health does play a role. It's very strenuous running for president. Well, you, you have to come off as reasonably robust. Um, and I if don't we, know if she could. If, if, the, if the world's oldest democracy and the most powerful country on earth, who ran the two least popular candidates that have ever been polled for president, ran the same two again, wouldn't that be something? Yes. Yes, that that would be an extraordinary. Again, don't get me excited. I don't, <laughs> number one, it's far too early, and, and oh, number yeah. two, I just I think it's incredibly unlikely. Well, he's not a he's not just a pundit, though. I mean, so the DNC couldn't possibly stack the deck in the same way that it has in the past, though. No, no, no. Unless she started to consolidate power, and a, a person here or there drops by the wayside, and it starts to look like you know she's. She might be the one you want to be on the side of. And remember, you don't need a majority. You need a plurality. If there are five viable candidates. See Trump. And and, and she gets, you know, 31%, which is 5% more than anybody else. Uh. And then the number five person drops out and says, yeah, I guess it's Hillary. Then the snowball begins a roll. Yeah, when you got a lot of people in, we saw that with Trump. He'd hang around 25 to 30%. But that was more than everybody else had. Yeah, yeah. Okay, speaking of party politics, we have time, I think, to shoehorn this in. I'm going to need that tape I asked you for last night, Shawnee, uh, uh, the Brett Bear thing. This is about the old Ms. Stipes, the crooked Broward County vote uh, gal who's in charge of the voting down there, who's been castigated by judge after judge for not following the rules. Enjoy this. I don't know Ms. Snipes, but I do know she was appointed originally by Governor Jeb Bush. A Republican. We should also point out that Brenda Snipes in Broward County is a Republican appointed by former governor, then Governor Jeb Bush. So she was put in by a Republican governor after the mess that we all remember from 2000. That was CNN and NBC. Roll on. 2000. And she's hardly a Democratic uh, official or someone doing the bidding of the Democratic candidates there. Well, she is a Democrat. She's listed as a Democrat. Uh, She's always been a Democrat. Jeb Bush tweeted today, there is no question that Broward County Supervisor of Elections Brenda Snipes failed to comply with Florida law on multiple counts, undermining Floridians' confidence in our electoral process. Supervisor okay, that's Sn- fine. And, and, and all of that is true and well said, uh, as usual, from Brett. But So you have major net, well, a network in a minor network, CNN, uh, saying, yeah, she's a Republican, appointed by Republicans. She's clearly a Republican, except she's been registered for, as a Democrat like for her entire life. And you got Andrea Mitchell, the senior correspondent, going on there saying she's a Republican. She got some bad information. Yeah. Wow. That's rough. That's rough. 
I was watching MSNBC last night. You you got to watch Brian Williams' show just for the entertainment value. Oh yeah, it's so it's interesting. He's carved out a niche for himself, but it is the most chicken little, the sky is falling show I've ever seen in my life. So the news had broke that it looks like the Homeland uh, Secretary is stepping down. Whatever her name is, Kirstjen Nielsen, that blonde woman, right, is stepping down. Okay, it's as common as common could be after midterms to reshuffle your cabinet. Right. That happens with every president. Grueling work day. doesn't pay terribly well. People do their tour and go. But they went with the breaking news. What does this mean? What evil plot is Trump up to? It shows how his White House is falling apart, etc., etc. Theme, like like something major had happened. Mm. And it's just not a story at all. Wow. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I guess maybe that gets the... You know, you only got to get 200,000 people to tune in to be a hit in uh, cable news. But. It's sure a short-term strategy, though. God, we're going to feed them the crack of the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Well, at a certain point, somebody's going to look up and say, you know, it appears to be where it was yesterday. Yeah. And then your model is doomed. But, you know, such is the desperate, somewhat, not somewhat, pathetic race for ratings in cable news. God, imagine the locker-up chance of Hillary's running again. Oh, it'll be deafening. Hillary's Hillary's had four years to get her, oh yeah, the jerk store called, and they're out of you lines ready to go, though, from various things Trump said last debate. I'll I'll brace myself. (laughs) You know know what I should have said? She's been sitting in her easy chair in upstate New York. What I should have said to him at the time was, (laughs) you're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.